If you would, take your Bibles, if you have one, and turn it to the book of James, James, James chapter number 2. Uh, we're moving on in our series through the book of James. The title of the series is Faith in Motion. Faith is not supposed to stand still and just sit there. We're supposed to put feet to our faith, and um, we're uh, moving on in that. Do we hear the angels of heaven singing right now? I did a little bit through the feedback there. Um, but uh, James chapter number 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 5. And uh, if you're able to do so physically, would you join me in standing for the reading of God's Word, James chapter number 2, uh, verses 1 through 5. The title of the message this morning is Dealing with Discrimination, uh, part 1. And so this is... Really, this whole passage from verse 1 down through verse number 13 deals with this, but it's uh, too much to cover in one message, so I broke it up into two. So uh, if you're here this morning, you have to promise to come back next Sunday to finish it up, okay? Uh, but James chapter number 2, verses 1 through 5, the Bible says this, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons? For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? And with that, let's have prayer. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the word of God, and thank you for this passage that we just read. God, I pray that you would help us to understand what you're trying to communicate to us here. Um, I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't just know what the Bible says and know what you're trying to say, but help us then to apply it and to implement that into our lives and to be doers of the word. And uh, Lord, I pray that you'd be honored and glorified in all that's said and done. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So just to ask a question to see if anybody is honest with honest here this, this morning. How many of you would say that you sometimes discriminate? Would you raise your hand? Okay. I think, I think all of us do. Now, the answer is, the truth is, all of us do discriminate. Now, before you get upset, um, I want to explain why I say that we all discriminate. Um, I discriminate about many things. For instance, I discriminate against certain types of food. I will admit before you today and be very transparent that I discriminate against lima beans and Brussels sprouts. And I don't care how Brussels sprouts are cooked. I still discriminate against them. I would much rather eat corn or green beans. I also discriminate against several NHL teams, National Hockey, team, National Hockey League teams, See, I cheer for the Dallas Stars, and I discriminate against the Vegas Golden Knights. Amen, Mark? 
Okay, my son said amen there. Uh, we are not Golden Knight fans. I discriminate in my tech companies as well. You see, I love Apple, but I cannot stand Android. I discriminate against them. I'm sorry. And if you have an Android phone, then that means I discriminate against your phone only, uh, not against you. Okay. I was thinking this, uh, this morning I, when I saw a cat, I was driving and I saw this cat and it was about to, it was on the side of the road and I thought it was going to, it was going to bolt out in front of my car. And I said, don't do it because I'm not stopping. It's Sunday morning. I got to get to church. Don't do it. Don't do it. I thought, you know what? I do discriminate against cats actually, to be honest. And if you're a cat person, well, I, I love you in the Lord. But um, and and so I would I would much prefer dogs, even though uh, they do shed and make a mess and chew things and all that. I still prefer dogs. See, you get the idea. Um, we all discriminate, but when it comes to how we are supposed to treat people. We are called, especially as believers, to not discriminate, to not be a respecter of persons, to not show partiality. That's what, we're, that's what we read here in James chapter number 2. In James chapter 3, he repeats this in verse number 17. If you want to just flip a page over maybe in your Bible or look in chapter 3 and verse 17, he says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So we're called to not discriminate as believers. We're called to not be respecter of persons or to show partiality. See, in the first century when James was writing this book, this epistle, um, there were a lot of different conditions that, polarized, uh, that were polarized that governed society. People in those days were either very poor or very rich. There wasn't really necessarily a middle class. It was usually either one or the other. Uh, there were slaves, and then there were people who were free. And then there were Jews, or they were Gentiles. There were all these natural division, or these divisions going on in society there. There were the Greek or the barbarian. And praise the Lord, when Jesus came, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, lost much of those social barriers through the gospel. As Paul wrote to the, the Galatians in Galatians 3.28, he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, here at, at Cornerstone Baptist Church, it comprises of people from all kinds of different backgrounds and walks of life and even nationalities and places of birth and, and uh, all of it. But we can come together and be one in Jesus Christ. And there, there, there doesn't need to be those divisions any longer. Again, in writing to the Colossians, Paul said this, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all, no longer are those, those uh, divisions necessary because we're all one in Christ. Now, evidently, discrimination among classes of people was a regular behavior, a regular occurrence in the early church. Uh, they hadn't quite learned and got the principle that I just read here uh, that Paul wrote to the Galatians or to the Colossians. Um, 
the people there in, in, in James' day were, were still uh, showing partiality. They were still discriminating uh, against people. Um, and uh, this is why James addresses it here in chapter number 2. Now, that was back in the first century. And a really good thing that discrimination or partiality never shows up anymore, right? Good thing we can just kind of move on from this and say, well, this no longer applies in 2023. Well, don't we all wish that was the case? Um, we all wish that discrimination didn't exist, but sadly it still does. And even among the Lord's people, and that's what James is trying to say here. Look, discrimination and partiality may exist outside of the church and outside of believers, but, but it ought not to be said of us who know the Lord to be committing discrimination, to be showing partiality, that we are to treat all people with love, the love of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. Well, here's what happens in our day. Um, and back in James' day, this was certainly the case here, and we'll get into it in a moment. But there was discrimination between rich and poor. And uh, there was preferential treatment to people based on possessions and apparel. And sometimes it was the poor who despised the rich because they thought that they were all haughty and, 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 and didn't treat them equally either. Racial division is still a thing, sadly, and there's... Uh, still preferential treatment uh, to people based on the color of their skin or their nationality. That still exists. Um, as much as um, I wish it didn't, it does. And then within a church, does partiality or discrimination exist? Well, we all like to think that it never does, but I've even seen here at Cornerstone, and not often, but I've seen that when a visitor comes in, and I'm talking with my clique, my group of friends, um, I kind of just look at them and let them pass by and continue my conversation. So there's almost a preferential treatment to those who have been here over those who are visiting for the first time. And look, uh, I, I want Cornerstone to be the friendliest, warmest, and most loving place in the OKC Metro. And I've heard from many visitors that they have felt a warm welcome here. And I hope that those who are visiting today have felt that. But it's only going to be if we understand this principle uh, regarding discrimination, especially when it comes to those of us who are believers that we are to put that away, that we are not to let that be said of us, that we are treating everybody with the love of Jesus Christ. So I want to look briefly this morning at how we can deal with discrimination according to the Word of God. I want us to notice, first of all, this morning in verse number 1, the instruction. The instruction is very clear in verse number 1. He says, my brethren, and again, when he says, my brethren, he's talking to believers. He's talking to those of us who know the Lord Jesus as our Savior, who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, who have been born again, who are part of God's family. And so we're brothers in Christ. We're brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so he says, hey, look, hey, brothers in, in the Lord, don't have the faith of Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not saying don't have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not what he's saying. He says, don't have the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respective persons. Don't say you're a believer and then discriminate against people because of how much money they have or don't have. 
And I like what he says here, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you remember, James, the human author of this epistle, is the half-brother of Jesus. So Mary and Joseph had children after uh, Jesus was born, and one of those children was James. So James grew up in the same home that Jesus did. Of course, Jesus never did anything wrong, and they could never pin anything on Jesus. They could never blame the broken lamp on Jesus because it wasn't him. Um, but here James refers to him as the Lord Jesus Christ. And he also refers to him as the Lord of glory. What a wonderful title that is. It's not just uh, Jesus Christ. He's the Lord Jesus Christ, the deity of Jesus Christ he's emphasizing here. And he says, don't have don't say you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and then discriminate against people. Don't do that. That's the instruction. And it's not the only time in the scriptures we see this instruction. In Proverbs 24 and verse 23, the Solomon said this, These things also belong to the wise. It is not good to have respect of persons in judgment. It's not good. You know, we're not to judge a book by its cover. Now, I realize that, you know, this doesn't obviously take away the importance of modesty and uh, dressing in a, in a manner that the Lord instructs us to in the Word, but it also says that, look, we ought not to judge people based on their externals. Uh, we're, it is not good, Solomon said, to have respect of persons in judgment. Proverbs 28, 21 is another verse. To have respect of persons is not good. For a piece of bread, that man will transgress. And one of the main reasons why we ought not to be is because Jesus wasn't a respecter of persons. Jesus in his birth, life, and death exemplified no partiality, no discrimination. You think about his birth for a quick second. Consider the people in his genealogy. Well, they weren't all rich and famous and godly individuals. Um, uh, you, you look at Tamar. She was a Canaanite woman who, who posed as a prostitute to seduce Judah. Rahab is in that uh, lineage. and She was a Gentile and a harlot. Ruth, she was a Moabite and an idol worshiper. And you consider to even who his birth was announced to. Remember when those angels came and announced the, that Jesus was born? They appeared to lowly, poor shepherds. And Jesus was born in a cave. He did not even come in any type of glitz and glamour whatsoever. So he was no respecter of persons in his birth. What about his life? Well, Jesus was willing to minister in Galilee and Samaria, both regions held in contempt by first century Jews. The woman at the well, Jesus ministered to in John chapter 4. Not only that, but he ministered to the rich and the poor. He dealt with prostitutes and tax collectors and risked ceremonial uncleanness by touching lepers and scorned by healing on the Sabbath day. So there was no respecter of persons during the birth of Jesus, during the life of Jesus. What about the death of Jesus? 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 15, when Jesus died, the Bible says, and that he died for, anybody know the next word? All. He didn't die just for the sum. He died for all. He didn't die just for the rich and famous. He didn't just die for the religious people. He died for all. 
He died for the poor. He died for the rich. He died for the educated and the uneducated. He died for those on the wrong side of the tracks. And by the way, here and more, that's a real thing when it comes to trains. It depends on which side you need to be on. And I always feel like I'm on the wrong side of the tracks because I see that train and I'm like, didn't go 19th. So it doesn't matter what side of the tracks you're on, Jesus died for you. He also died for the Sooner fans. He even died for the Cowboy fans. See, he died for all. See, red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in his sight. Jesus loves all the children of the world. Look, Jesus didn't show any partiality or discrimination against someone based on the amount of money in their bank account or their education and the, uh, the little initials after their name. No, he loved and died for all. No partiality. He is no respecter of persons. And as we as believers are called Christians. What does the word Christian even mean? It means little Christ. It was a kind of a derogatory term, so to speak, when it was first given to those at Antioch. And, and what, it was, what they were trying to say is, you, you keep acting and talking like Jesus. What a compliment. And you and I as believers, as we continue to grow and mature in the Lord, the more and more we are to look like Him and talk like Him and sound like Him and And when it comes to the way we treat people, we ought to treat people the way Jesus treated people. With no partiality, with no discrimination, not looking up and down and saying, well, I don't know if you would fit into my group or into my clique. The less we are to be a respecter of persons, that we all treat people with the love of Christ. That's the instruction. That's the instruction given here. And it's because Jesus was the ultimate example in that. But then in verses 2 and 3, he gives, secondly, the illustration. He goes on in verse number 2. Well, okay, if there come into your assembly a man with a gold ring. And by the way, it's a good thing to come into the assembly. We are to assemble ourselves together as the manner, and, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. We are to gather together. We are to come into the assembly and, and church attendance and church coming into a church is important and necessary in the life of a Christian. There's too many people thinking, well, I can just watch online. I can just, you know, YouTube it and, and I just watch my favorite preacher on YouTube. That, that, that's not being a part of a church. That's not really fulfilling the biblical mandate of being a part of a church family. But here these two men come in. There's two men mentioned here. There's Uh, A prosperous man, and then there's the poor man. So the prosperous man, first of all, is mentioned in verse number two. For there have come into your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel. So this man comes in, and he's got a gold ring. And and I was reading some commentaries about what that meant. And and some some believe that they even could have multiple rings on their fingers to show just how rich they were. You know, I've got a ring on all the fingers. I mean, imagine today if I had all, you know, all my fingers had rings on and I was preaching to you, you'd be like, what is that guy thinking? He's, you know, he's pretty stuck on himself right now. Um, I don't even have a gold ring. I actually got a silver ring uh, that uh, my wife just got me a, a year or so ago for, for Christmas. And uh, so anyway, 
But the man comes in with a gold ring, and that, that showed something. That was a status symbol in that day. And then he comes in in goodly apparel, and here's what it means by goodly apparel. It means bright, shining garments, glistering with, glistering with gold and silver, very rich and costly. So can you imagine somebody coming in with like some mega bling going on? I mean, their clothes are all like bedazzled, uh, you know, some, some guy walking in with a bedazzled suit and, and all these rings on and, you know, it's just, whoa. And then you see him drive in the parking lot and he's dry, driving this sweet Lambo and uh, you're like, wow, this guy's got some bank. And then he pops out and he's got all these rings on and he's got this bedazzled suit and he comes in and kind of just, you know, moseys on over into the church. And, and everybody either turns and goes, wow. And there's, there's three guys mentioned here. There's three guys mentioned in verse 3. There, there, there's, the, there's the prosperous man, there's the poor man, and then there's the usher. There's the usher. And I'm going to pick on our ushers a little bit this morning. No, I'm not. Um, but there's the usher who goes, whoa. Did you guys see that Lambo just drive in? And look at this guy walking in with this bedazzled suit and all these rings on his finger. Let's make sure he gets the best seat in the house. And that's what they're saying here in verse number three. And ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing and say unto him, sit thou here in a good place. Now, where's the best seat in the house in a Baptist church? It's right in the back row <laughs> where all you backsliders are sitting right now. That's not what it was here, though. I'm telling you right now, it was not the back row. It was in the best seat in the house where they could have the best view and the most comfortable place. So we have the prosperous man, but then we have the poor man in verse number two as well. So we have, there come in also a poor man in vile raiment. Okay, so there come a, there, there, there's a poor man wearing vile raiment. What does that mean? It means mean and despicable, filthy and ragged. So, I mean, it's not the Louis Vuitton, obviously. It's the goodwill version of clothing that is maybe old and tattered and has holes in it. And I realize that nowadays you have to pay extra for holes in your clothes. But back in those days, back in those days, I mean, it was just tattered and worn. And it was obvious this guy was struggling financially. And he comes into the assembly. And the ushers get done placing this guy in the bedazzled suit, and he goes and says, okay, you enjoy the service, and let us know if we can do anything to bless you and help you. And then they go back, and then here comes this guy, you know, strolling in, wearing this outfit that's like, where did he get that? That is just, I, I don't want to, I'm uncomfortable seeing even that. And, well, let's, I'm an usher. I got to do my ministry, so let's find you a seat. Um, I think you can go sit on the stairs over there so you're kind of out of the way and away from everybody seeing you. You can sit over there if you want to. That's what happened. Okay, so here's the illustration he gives. But then verse number, th or <laughs> number three here, I want us to look at the indictment. When that happens, here in verse number four, he says, Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and you have become judges of evil thoughts? See, the real error here is when we show partiality to someone based on externals. 
things they can't necessarily help. Well, yes, they can help the fact that they're poor. They can go get themselves a job and work hard. I get that, but not everybody has the ability to do that. And God may just have in his will for them to not have much. Well, does it still happen? Does this kind of thing that we just read about in verses 2 and 3 actually still happen in churches? I read about a lady who years ago liked to test to see if a church was guilty of this error. So she would select a fashionable church in town. She would put on an old, ill-fitting clothes, shabby shoes, and a very worn hat. She would arrange her hair in an unsightly bun and present herself at the church. Her main interest was in finding out what kind of treatment she would receive at the door, either upon arrival or at the end of the service. Usually little or no attention was paid to her at all. No one cared if she came or went. Usually she received a quick superficial handshake at the door and the preacher's eyes just being busy elsewhere because he didn't want to pay too much attention to her. The next Sunday, though, she would present herself at the same church in a different guise altogether. And she had styled hair, wearing an expensive suit with a mink fur shawl and expensive jewelry. And on the way out, the pastor would gush over her. Oh, we're so glad to have you. This must be your first visit. We do hope you'll come back. What is your name? She would look at him and said, oh, no, this is not my first visit. I was here last Sunday. As a matter of fact, you shook hands with me at the door then, too. Surely not. I would have remembered that. Oh, yes. But you see, last Sunday, I dressed in old clothes, and you really didn't see me at all. All you said was a casual good morning, and then you hurried on to the lady behind me, who was much more stylishly dressed than I was. And by the way, no, I shall not be back. See, it does still happen in our day and age, and if we're not careful, even here at Cornerstone Baptist Church, if we're not careful, that can still happen here. And I realized this message as I was preparing it, I was thinking, I don't, I don't know how, how applicable this is to our church. And then as the more I thought about it, I thought, Lord, we need this. Even if we may not be completely guilty of it now, we need the reminder, we need the preventative medicine so that we don't get to that place where we start looking down our nose at anybody else based on their economic status. That we show everybody the love of Christ regardless. See, verse 4 says that we have become judges with evil thoughts. What an indictment. We become judges... I mean, we're called to not judge one another when we have a big beam in our eye and we start judging others because of the little moat in theirs, remember? But we're not to take that place of judgment. Obviously, we are to approve all things. And, and God, and, and here's, here's the balance. Here's, here's the balance in John 7 and verse 24. You can write that reference down. It says, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. See, we are to judge, but here what, what, what the people were doing in James' day was they were becoming judge, judges with evil thoughts. 
And they were, they, were, they were basing their judgments on just human things. We, we are called to judge, but we're called to judge righteous judgment, not with evil thoughts here. See, instead, we are to look at people through the eyes of the Lord and consider this thought here. If you see someone and they are a Christian, then we can receive them because why? Christ lives inside of them. And that's why we can receive them regardless of how they look on the outside. If they're a true believer, then Jesus lives on the inside and we are to receive them. Okay, well, what if they're not a Christian? Well, we can receive them too. Why? Because Christ died for them and God put them in our path to show them the love of Christ. Not to say, well, we're better than you because we're a Christian. Not, hey, yeah, I've been a saved for a while, so <laughs> I'm way better than you. No, 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 no. That spiritual pride is wicked. We, we need to treat everybody with love and the love of Christ. So that's the indictment here in verse number four. Are you not then partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts? One more thought here, and then we'll wrap it up this morning. Fourthly, we see the irony. The irony. Verse number five, he says, Hearken, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? He said, you, you guys are, are so consumed with honoring those who are rich and have much and you gush over them, and you're like, oh, you sit in the best place in the church. And you want to honor them, and you want to show partiality to them. But, but here's the deal. Verse number five, God chosen the, rich, or the poor of this world rich in faith. He said many times God actually shows more favor to the poor in this world. And he calls them rich in faith. And it's not just because they have less money, then all of a sudden they're rich in faith. Here it goes at the end of the verse, it says, to them that love him. But here's the irony. Poor believers many times look down upon in certain churches. And yet the truth is he may be the richest man spiritually in that church. Too often, again, we give so much attention to the, to the generous givers and to the big, um, to the ones who have much and, and kind of flaunt their wealth. When, when many times, if we were to see our church the way God sees our church, the one who has the least may be the richest of the bunch. See, God has chosen in many cases the poor in this world to accomplish his purposes. You think about Moses, he was poor. Well, wait a minute, you say, didn't he, wasn't he raised in the Pharaoh's palace? I mean, didn't he have all of those things? Yeah, he did for a little while, but then he chose to push those aside and, 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 and deny those things so that he might follow the Lord and do God's will. So he said, remember, he says he'd rather to suffer than to have the pleasures of sin for a season. To have the riches uh, it's right here in uh, Hebrews chapter number 11 and verse number uh, 26. He said, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. He could have had all the riches of Egypt. I mean, they were his for the taking, and yet he said, I don't want those. I want to instead, 
um, follow Christ and follow the Lord. So Moses was one who was poor that God chose. David was another man that God chose that was poor. Remember when uh, God rejected Saul and said, okay, I need a new, a new king. So he sent Samuel to Jesse's house, who Jesse wasn't exactly a, a wealthy man, but he did have several sons. And he put them before Samuel, and Samuel looked at all of them eventually, and God said, no, I, I, there's none of them here. So Samuel said to Jesse, well, do you have any other boys? Well, yeah, we have David, but he's kind of like the run of the family. He's out taking care of the sheep. He's not all that important, but I do have another son. Well, bring him in. Of course, we know the rest of the story. God chose David to be the next king of Israel, and uh, God used uh, a man by the name of David who was very poor to accomplish great things for God's glory. What about Gideon? Gideon was chosen to be the one to deliver the nation of Israel out of the hand of the Midianites. And he did with 301 people. It was Gideon plus 300 men. How did he do that? Well, he did that with the power of God, but before he, when he was being called to do, to do that, here's what he said. He said, Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So my, my family is already poor, and I'm kind of like the poorest of our family. Yet God chose him to accomplish that great task. Think about Mary, the one who was chosen to be the mother of the Savior of the world. Well, she must have been rich and famous. No, she wasn't. In her prayer to the Lord and prayer of praise, she said in Luke 148, For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. This gives an idea of the fact that she was not very well off, that she had very little, and yet God chose her to have that wonderful privilege to be the mother of Jesus Christ. So again, God chooses uh, many times the poor in this world. What about the disciples that were picked to follow Jesus? All of them must have had a bunch of money, right? Well, Matthew did till he left that job and started following Jesus. And all these men didn't have much. And they were willing to, though, give their lives to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. In recent history, God has also chosen many poor people to serve him. John Bunyan, who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, D.L. Moody, George Mueller, all men who were poor and yet God used in a great way. Why does God do that? So that when great things happen, who gets the glory? God gets the glory. So they didn't go and pat themselves on the back or their wallet, say, good job, bank account. That's why. God, and you might think, well, why doesn't God save some celebrities like, well, we're in the book of James, so LeBron James, okay? Why doesn't God save LeBron James? I mean, what a platform he would have. And, and no doubt he would have a platform. And it's okay to pray that God would save LeBron James. But why wouldn't God save uh, what... God wants to save LeBron James. I, I promise you that. But listen, why would God, why doesn't God use somebody like that and he wants to use somebody like me without that type of money and influence? Because otherwise, guess who would get the glory maybe there? LeBron would get the glory. But when God uses somebody like me and you, then God gets the glory. See? Nobody says, well, how great of a guy is Eric Johnson? No. They say, what a great God, because he's not much, but God's able to use him. 
See, the irony is that the people there were honoring the rich, but in many ways, God actually honors the poor. The poor have a special place with the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 27, the Bible says this, God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. may not make sense. I know it's a little ironic, but the thing is God does choose the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. It doesn't always, sometimes he does save the celebrities, and God can use them, but, but many times that's not the way God works. Matthew 5, 3, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You think about this for a quick second. Jesus himself became poor, that we all might become rich. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, I love this verse, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich while he was in heaven, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. See, Jesus became poor, and yes, he, or no, he didn't have any respect of persons as, as he lived on this earth, but he didn't have anything. He didn't even have a pillow to lay his head on. He was homeless. So he was willing to do that so that you and I could be spiritually rich. Not so that you can have a big bank account, but so that you can be spiritually rich. See, here's the deal. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Rich, poor, free, slave, Jew, Gentile, tall, short, skinny, horizontally gifted. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Red, yellow, black, and white, you can be saved. God loves you. Notice here in verse number five, I like this concept here when he says this word, Chosen the poor of this world, and I like this three-letter, three-word phrase, rich in faith. I was thinking about rich in faith, and those in third-world countries. My son Seth has been to Uganda twice on missions trips, and, and he's come back and reported that some of those people there who know the Lord are just, he's like, it's amazing how much joy and peace they have in their lives and they don't have anything. Like they barely have means to get to church. Or many times they have to walk a long distance to get to church. They don't have much, but they have what so many of us Americans are lacking. They have peace. They have contentment. They have joy. They have trust in the Lord to provide for them. They are poor on earth, but the Bible says they're rich in faith. On the other hand, by and large, we Americans, we have the cars. And nice ones, too. We have the air conditioning. Amen on that here in Oklahoma. We have houses. We have designer clothes. We have it all. But too many of us are seriously lacking in the peace department. We can't seem to find contentment. We struggle, struggle to have the real joy of the Lord. Why? Because we're so stressed out about trying to make more money. We fail to trust the Lord. Many are rich on earth, but poor in faith. It's entirely possible, my friend, to be poor in this world and rich in the next world. It's entirely possible also, on the other hand, to be rich in this world and poor in the next world. Or you could be poor in both, or rich in both. 
And I am speaking to people who are relatively very, very rich compared to third world countries, for sure. We have a bunch. We can be rich here on earth, as many of us are, admittedly. We can also be rich in the world to come by doing what verse number five says, to them that love him. That's the key. It all depends on what you do with Jesus Christ and the material wealth he has given to you, to them that love him. I hope that all of us, regardless of our financial situation, that we desire to love him. There's another promise here. At the end of verse number five, we become heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him. Again, this isn't just for the poor, but for the poor who are rich in faith and those who are rich here on earth and rich in faith, we become heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him. Here's what that means. In verse Romans chapter 8 and verse 17, it says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Here's the deal. Uh, when you and I are born again into God's family, not only are we into God's family, but we also become a child of the King. We become joint heirs with Jesus. The song we sang a little while ago, Child of the King, one of the verses was, I once was an outcast, stranger on earth, a sinner by choice and an alien by birth. But I've been adopted, my name's written down, an heir to a mansion, a robe and a crown. I'm a child of the King. A child of the king with Jesus my Savior. I'm a child of the king. So my question for you this morning is, are you a child of the king? Are you an heir of the kingdom that is to come? Have you been born again? Have you believed on Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? If not, today's the day. Today's the day. Don't wait. Because notice here in verses 1 and 5, he says this word twice in these two verses, my brethren. And verse 5, hearken, my beloved brethren. See, you need to be part of the family. You need to be part of the family. There's only one way to become part of this family. It's not through joining a church. It's not through being a good person. It's not through any good works that you could do. It's through placing your faith on Jesus Christ and him alone your salvation, believing that he lived a perfect and sinless life, that he died on the cross for your sins, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And you're placing your faith in him and him alone, not your church membership, not anything that you can do, but Jesus and Jesus alone. If you're here and you've never done that, today could be the greatest day of your life. And then you become a child of God and a child of the King, and you become joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Next week, we're going to look at a few reasons why we should avoid discriminating against people as we continue through this passage. I encourage you to be back and don't miss it as we continue on with dealing with discrimination part two next week. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today. And Lord, if we're honest, not only do we discriminate against food items and sports teams and silly things like that. But if we're honest, sometimes we even discriminate against people based on skin color, based on economic status, based on nationality, language, appearance. God, forgive us for that. 
Help us instead to look at people through the eyes of the Lord Jesus. To realize that people either are a brother or sister in the Lord or someone who needs the Lord. God, I pray that you give us a heart of love and compassion. God, please help us as a church family. Lord, I, I, this is for every Christian, but it's also for our church. Lord, I pray that our church would be a very friendly, warm, and loving place. That, Lord, we don't discriminate against anybody in our church. That we love and accept everybody. And, Lord, I pray that um, you'd help us with this and that you would um, forgive us where we fail you. Help us even this week as we go our separate ways, Lord, to practice this out and about. Help us, Lord, to not show partiality, to not have the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. Help us instead, Lord, to treat people like you did with the love of Christ.